Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. My name is Rita Thoris, and this is the Asgard Podcast. The Story of Siegfried, Part 3 The Curse of Gold. Forth then rode Siegfried upon the beaming Greyfell out into the broad mid world. And the sun shone bright above him, and the air was soft and pure, and the earth seemed very lovely, and life a gladsome thing. And his heart was big within him as he thought of the days to come, of the deeds of love and daring, of the righting of the many wrongs, of the people's praise, and the glory of a life well lived. And he wended his way back again toward the south and the fair lands of the Rhine. He left the barren moorlands behind him and the pleasant farms and villages of the fruitful countryside, and after many days came once more to Regan's woodland dwelling. For he said to himself, My old master was very wise, and he knows of the deeds that were done when yet the world was young and my kin were the mightiest of men. I will go to him and learn what grievous evil it is that he has so often vaguely hinted at. Regan, when he saw the lad and the beaming Greyfell standing like a vision of light at his door, welcomed them most gladly and led Siegfried into the inner room, where they sat down together amid the gold and the gemstones and the fine wrought treasures there. Truly, said the master, the days of my long waiting are drawing to a close, and at last the deed shall be done. And the old look of longing came into his eyes again and his pinched face seemed darker and more wrinkled than before, and his thin lips trembled with emotion as he spoke. "'What is that deed of which you speak?' asked Siegfried. "'It is the righting of a grievous wrong,' answered Regan, "'and the winning of treasures untold low. Many years have I waited for the coming of this day, and now my heart tells me that the hero so long hoped for is here, and the wisdom and the wealth of the world shall be mine.' "'But what is the wrong to be righted?' asked Siegfried. "'And what is this treasure that you speak of as your own?' "'Alas!' answered Regan. "'The treasure is indeed mine, and yet wrongfully has it been withheld from me. "'But listen a while to a tale of the early days, "'and thou shalt know what the treasure is, and what is the wrong to be righted.' "'He took his harp and swept the strings and played a soft, low melody, "'which told of the dim past.' and of blighted hopes, and of a nameless, never-satisfied yearning for that which might have been. And then he told Siegfried his story. When the earth was still very young, and men were feeble and few, and the dwarfs were many and strong, the Asfolk were wont oft-times to leave their halls in heaven-towering Asgard in order to visit the new-formed mid-world, and to see what the short-lived sons of men were doing. Sometimes they came in their own godlike splendor and might, Sometimes they came disguised as feeble menfolk, with all man's weaknesses and all his passions. Sometimes Odin, as a beggar, wandered from one country to another, craving charity. Sometimes, as a warrior clad in coat of mail, he rode forth to battle for the cause of right, or as a minstrel he sang from door to door, and played sweet music in the halls of the great, or as a huntsman. He dashed through the brakes and fens, and into dark forests, and climbed steep mountains in search of game. Or as a sailor, he embarked upon the sea, and sought new scenes and lands. And many times did menfolk entertain him unaware. Once upon a time he came to the mid-world in company with Heinid and Loki, and the three wandered through many lands and in many climes, each giving gifts wherever they went. 
Odin gave knowledge and strength and taught men how to read the mystic runes. Heinir gave gladness and good cheer and lightened many hearts with the glow of his comforting presence. But Loki had naught to give but cunning deceit and base thoughts, and he left behind him bitter strife and many aching breasts. At last, growing tired of the fellowship of men, the three Aesir sought the solitude of the forest, and as huntsmen wandered long among the hills and over the wooded heights of Hangnaland. Late one afternoon they came to a mountain stream at a place where it poured over the ledge of rocks, and they fell in clouds of spray into a rocky gorge below. As they stood and with pleased eyes gazed upon the waterfall, they saw near the bank an otter lazily making ready to eat a salmon which he had caught, and Loki, ever bent on doing mischief, hurled a stone at the harmless beast and killed it. And he boasted loudly that he had done a worthy deed, and he took both the otter and the fish which it had caught and carried them with him as trophies of the day's success. Just at nightfall the three huntsmen came to a lone farmhouse in the valley, and asked for food and for shelter during the night. "'Shelter you shall have,' said the farmer, whose name was Hredmar, "'for the rising clouds foretell on a storm. But food I have none to give you. Surely huntsmen of skill should not want for food, since the forest teems with the game, and the streams are full of fish.' Then Loki threw upon the ground the otter and the fish, and said, we have sought in both forest and stream, and we have taken from them at one blow both flesh and fish. Give us but the shelter you promise, and we will not trouble you for food. The farmer gazed with horror upon the lifeless body of the otter and cried out, This creature which you mistook for an otter, and which you have robbed and killed, is my son Otter, who for mere past him had taken the form of the furry beast. You are but thieves and murderers! Then he called loudly for help, and his two sons, Fauknir and Reikin, sturdy and valiant kin of the Dwarfolk, rushed in, and seized upon the huntsmen, and bound them hand and foot for the three Aesir, having taken upon themselves the form of men, had no more than human strength, and were unable to withstand them. Then Odin and his fellows bemoaned their ill fate, and Loki said, Wherefore did we foolishly take upon ourselves in the likeness of puny men? Had I my own power once more, I would never part with it in exchange for man's weaknesses. And Heinrich sighed and said, Now indeed will darkness win, and the frosty breath of the Rhymthurs and giants will blast the fair handiwork of the sunlight and the heat, for the givers of life and light and warmth are helpless prisoners in the hands of these cunning and unforgiving jailers. Surely, said Odin, not even the highest are free from obedience to heaven's behests and the laws of right. I, whom men call the preserver of life, have demeaned myself by being found in evil company, and, although I have done no other wrong, I suffer rightly for the doings of this mischief-maker with whom I have stooped to have fellowship. For all are known, not so much by what they are, as by what they seem to be, and they bear the bad name which their comrades bear. Now I am fallen from my high estate. Eternal right is higher than I. And in the last twilight of the gods, I must meet the dreaded Fenris wolf, and in the end the world will be made new again, and the shining Balder will rule in the sunlight majesty forever. Then the Aesir asked Tredemar, the jailer, what ransom they should pay for their freedom. And he, not knowing who they were, said, I must first know what ransom you are able to give. We will give anything you may ask, hastily, answered Loki. Hreidmar then called his sons, and bade them strip in the skin from the otter's body. When this was done, they brought the furry hide and sped it upon the ground, and Hreidmar said, 
bring shining gold and precious stones enough to cover every part of his otter's skin. When you have paid so much ransom, you shall have your freedom. That we will do, answered Odin, but one of us must have to leave to go and fetch it. The other two will stay fast bound until the morning dawns. If by that time the gold is not here, you may do with us as you please. Hreidmar and the two young men agreed to Odin's offer, and lots being cast, it fell to Loki to go and fetch the treasure. When he had been loosened from the cords which bound him, Loki donned his magic shoes, which had carried him over land and sea from the farthest bounds of the midworld, and hasted away upon his errand, and he sped with the swiftness of light over the hills and the wooded slopes and the deep dark valleys and the fields and forests and sleeping hamlets, until he came to the place where dwelt the swarthy elves and the cunning dwarf Antvari. There, the river Rhine, no larger than a meadow brook, breaks forth from beneath a mountain of ice, which the frost giants and blind old Hödr, the winter king, had built long years before, for they had vainly hoped that they might imprison the river at its fountain head. But the baby brook had eaten its way beneath the frozen mass, and had sprung out from its prison, and gone on, leaping and smiling, and kissing the sunlight in its ever-widening course towards Burgundy and the sea. Loki came to this place, because he knew that there was the home of the elves, who had laid upon the greatest hoard of treasures ever known in the midworld. He scanned with careful eyes the mountainside, and the deep rocky caverns and the dark gorge through which the little river rushed, but in the dim moonlight not a living being could he see, save a lazy salmon swimming in the quieter eddies of the stream. Anyone but Loki would have lost all hope of finding treasure there, at least before the dawn of day, but his wits were quick and his eyes were very sharp. One salmon has brought us into this trouble, and another shall help us out of it, he cried. Then, swift as thought, he sprang again into the air, and the magic shoes carried him with greater speed than ever before down the Rhine Valley, and through Burgundy land and the low meadows until he came to the shores of the great North Sea. He sought the halls of old Ayr, the Ocean King, but he wist not which way to go, whether across the North Sea towards Iceland, or whether along the narrow channel between the British and the Main. While he paused, uncertain where to turn, he saw the pale-haired daughters of old Ayr, the white-whaled waves, playing in the moonlight near the shore. Of them he asked the way to Ayr's hall. Seven days' journey westward, said they. Beyond the green isle of Erin is our father's hall. Seven days' journey northward, on the bleak Norwegian shore, is our father's hall. And they stopped not once in their play, but rippled and danced on the shelving beach, and dashed with forge against the shore. Where is your mother Raun, the queen of the ocean? asked Loki, and they answered, In the deep sea caves, by the sounding shore, in the dashing waves, when the wild storms roar, in her cold green bowers, in the northern fjords, she lurks and she glowers, she grasps and she hoards, and she spreads her strong net for her prey. Loki waited to hear no more. But he sprang into the air, and the magic shoes carried him onwards over the water in search of the ocean queen. He had not gone far when his sharp eyes espied her, lurking near a rocky shore against which the breakers dashed with frightful fury. Half hidden in the deep dark water, she lay, waiting and watching, and she spread her cunning net upon the waves, and reached out with her long greedy fingers to seize whatever booty might come near her. When the very queen saw Loki, she hastily drew in her net, and tried to hide herself in the shadows of an overhanging rock. But Loki called her by name and said, Sister Raun, fear not, 
I am your friend Loki, whom once you served as a guest in Eyre's gold-lit halls. Then the Ocean Queen came out into the bright moonlight and welcomed Loki to her domain and asked, Why does Loki thus wander so far from Asgard and over the trackless waters? And Loki answered, I have heard of the net which you spread upon the waves, and from which no creature once caught in its meshes can ever escape. I have found a salmon where the Rhine spring gushes from beneath the mountains, and a very cunning salmon he is, for no common skill can catch him. Come, I pray, with your wondrous net, and cast it into the stream where he lies. Do but take the wary fish for me, and you shall have more gold than you have taken in a year from the wrecks of stranded vessels. I dare not go, cried Raun. A bound is set beyond which I may not venture. If all the gold of earth were offered me, I could not go. Then lend me your net, entreated Loki. Lend me your net, and I will bring it back tomorrow filled with gold. Much I would like your gold, answered Raun, but I cannot lend my net. Should I do so, I might lose the richest prize that had ever come into my husband's kingdom. For three days now, a gold-rigged ship, bearing a princely crew with a rich armor and abundant wealth, has been sailing carelessly over these seas. Tomorrow I shall send my daughters and all the bewitching mermaids to decoy the vessel among the rocks, and into my net the ship and the brave warriors and all their armor and gold shall fall. A rich prize it will be. No, I cannot part with my net, even for a single hour. But Loki knew the power of flattering words. Beautiful queen, said he, there is no one on earth, nor even Asgard, who can equal you in wisdom and foresight. Yet I promise you that, if you will but lend me your net until the morning dawns, the ship and the crew of which you speak shall be yours, and all their golden treasures shall deck your stir halls in the deep sea. Then Raun carefully folded the net and gave it to Loki. Remember your promise, was all that she said. And Aesir never forgets, he answered, and he turned his face again towards Rhineland, and the magic shoes bore him aloft and carried him in a moment back to the ice mountain and the gorge and the infant river, which he had so lately left. The salmon still rested in his place, and had not moved during Loki's short absence. Loki unfolded the net and cast it into the stream. The cunning fish tried hard to avoid being caught in its meshes, but dart which way he would, he met the skillfully woven cords, and these drew themselves around him, and held him fast. Then Loki pulled the net up, out of the water, and grasped the helpless fish in his right hand. But lo! As he held the struggling creature high in the air, it was no longer a fish, but the cunning dwarf Antvari. Thou king of elves, cried Loki, thy cunning has not saved thee. Tell me, on thy life, where thy hidden treasures lie. The wise dwarf knew who it was that thus held him in a wise, and he answered frankly, for it was his only hope of escape. Turn over the stone upon which you stand. Beneath it you will find the treasure you seek. Then Loki put his shoulder to the rock and pushed with all his might, but it seemed as firm as the mountain and would not be moved. Help us, thou cunning dwarf, he cried, help us, and thou shalt have thy life. The dwarf put his shoulder on to the rock and turned it over as if by magic, and underneath was disclosed the wondrous chamber, whose walls shone brighter than the sun, and on whose floor lay treasures of gold and glittering gemstones, such as no man had ever seen. And Loki, in great haste, seized upon the hoard and placed it in the magic net which he had borrowed from the Ocean Queen. Then came out of the chamber, and Antvare put his shoulder to the rock which lay at the entrance and swung it back noiselessly into this place. "'What is that upon thy finger?' suddenly cried Loki. "'Wouldst keep back a part of the treasure? 
give me the ring thou hast. But the dwarf shook his head and made answer, I have given thee all the riches that the owls of the mountain have gathered since the world began. This ring I cannot give, for without its help we shall never be able to gather more treasures together. And Loki grew angry at these words of the dwarf, and he seized the ring and tore it by force from Anthony's fingers. It was a wondrous little piece of mechanism shaped like a serpent, coiled with its tail in its mouth, and its scaly sides glittered with many a tiny diamond, and its rupee eyes shone with an evil light. When the dwarf knew that Loki really meant to rob him of the ring, he cursed it, and all who should ever possess it, saying, May the ill-gotten treasure that you have seized tonight be your bane, and the bane of all to whom it may come, whether by fair means or by foul. And the ring which you have torn from my hand may it entail upon the one who wears its sorrow and untilled ills, the loss of friends and a violent death. The Norns have spoken, and thus it must be. Loki was pleased with these words, and with the dark curses which the dwarf pronounced upon the gold, for he loved wrongdoing for wrongdoing's sake, and he knew that no curses could ever make his own life more cheerless than it had always been. So he thanked Antvare for his curses and his treasures, and throwing the magic net upon his shoulder, he sprang again into the air, and was carried swiftly back to Hunaland, and just before the dawn appeared in the east, he alighted at the door of the farmhouse where Odin and Heiner still lay bound with thongs, and guarded by Falpnir and Reikin. Then the farmer, Hreidmar, brought the otter's skin, and spread it upon the ground, and lo, it grew, and spread out on all the sides until it covered an acre of ground, and he cried out, Fulfill now your promise, cover every hair of this hide with gold or with precious stones. If you fail to do this, then your lives, by your own agreement, are forfeited and we shall do with you as we list. Odin took the magic net from Loki's shoulder, and opening it, he poured the treasures of the mountain elves upon the otter's skin, and Loki and Heinet spread the yellow pieces carefully and evenly over every part of the furry hide. But after every piece had been laid in its place, Hreidmar saw near the otter's mouth a single hair uncovered, and he declared that unless this hair too were covered, the bargain would be unfulfilled, and the treasures and lives of his prisoners would be forfeited. And the Aesir looked at each other in dismay, for none another piece of gold and none another precious stone could they find in the net. At last Odin took from his bosom the ring which Loki had stolen from the dwarf, for he had been so highly pleased with its form and workmanship that he had hidden it, hoping that it would not be needed to complete the payment of the ransom. And they laid the ring upon the uncovered hair, and now no portion of the otter skin could be seen, and Falpnir and Regin, the ransom being paid, loosed the shackles of Odin and Heiner, and bade the three huntsmen to go their way. Odin and Heiner once shook off their human disguises, and taking their own forms again, hastened with all speed back to Asgard. But Loki tarried a little while, and said to Reynmar and his sons, By your greediness and falsehood, you have won for yourselves the curse of the earth which lies before you. It shall be your bane. It shall be the bane of everyone who holds it. It shall kindle strife between father and son, between brother and brother. It shall make you mean, selfish, beastly. It shall transform you into monsters. The noblest king among menfolk shall feel its curse. Such is gold, and such it shall ever be to its worshippers. And the ring which you have gotten shall impart to its possessor its own nature. Grasping snaky, cold, unfeeling shall he live, and death through treachery shall be his doom. Then he turned away. Delighted that he had thus left the curse of Antare with Hreidmar and his sons, and hastened toward the North Sea, for he wished to redeem the promise that he had made to the Ocean Queen, to bring back her magic net 
and to decoy the richly laden ship into her clutches. No sooner were the strange huntsmen well out of sight than Falconer and Regent began to ask their father to divide the glittering hoard with them. By our strength and through our advice, said they, this great store has come into your hands. Let us place it in three equal heaps, and then let each other take a share and go his way. At this the farmer waxed very angry, and he loudly declared that he would keep all of the treasure for himself, and that his sons would not have any portion of it whatever. So Fafnir and Regin, nursing their disappointment, went to the fields to watch their sheep, but their father sat down to guard his new-gotten treasure, and he took in his hand the glittering serpent ring, and gazed into its cold ruby eyes, and as he gazed all his thoughts were fixed upon his gold, and there was no room in his heart for love towards his fellows, nor for deeds of kindness, nor for the worship of the All-Father. And behold, as he continued to look at the snaky ring, a dreadful change came over him. The warm red blood, which until that time had leaped through his veins and given him life and strength and human feelings, became purple and cold and sluggish, and selfishness like serpent poisoned, took hold of his heart. Then, as he kept on gazing at the horde which lay before him, he began to lose his human shape. His body lengthened into many scaly folds, and he coiled himself around his loved treasures, the very likeness of the ring upon which he had gazed so long. When the day drew near its close, Fafnir came back from the fields with his herd of sheep, and thought to find his father guarding the treasure, as he had left him in the morning. But instead he saw a glittering snake, fast asleep encircling the horde like a huge scaly ring of gold. His first thought was that the monster had devoured his father, and hastily drawing his sword with one blow, he severed the serpent's head from its body. And while yet the creature writhed in the death agony, he gathered up the hoard and fled with it beyond the hills of Hunaland, until on the seventh day he came to a barren heath far from the homes of men, where he placed the treasures in one glittering heap, and he clothed himself in a wondrous mail coat of gold that was found among them, and he put on the helmet of dread, which had once been the terror of the mid-world, and the like of which no man had ever seen. And then he gazed with greedy eyes upon the fateful ring, until he, too, was changed into a cold and slimy reptile, a monster dragon, and he coiled himself around the fateful horde, and with his restless eyes forever open, he gloated day after day upon his loved gold, and watched with ceaseless care that no one should come near to despoil him of it. This was ages and ages ago, and still he wallows among his treasures on the glittering heath, and guards as of yore the garnered wealth of Antwari. When I, Regin, the younger brother, came back in the late evening to my father's dwelling, I saw that the treasure had been carried away, and when I beheld the dead serpent lying in its place, I knew that a part of Antwari's curse had been fulfilled, and a strange fear came over me, and I left everything behind me and fled from the dwelling, never more to return. Then I came to the land of the Wolfsongs, where your father's fathers dwelt, and the noblest king folk that the world has ever seen. But a longing for the gold and the treasure, a hungry yearning that would never be satisfied, filled my soul. Then for a time I sought to forget this craving. I spent my days in the getting of knowledge and in teaching menfolk the ancient lore of my kin, the dwarves. I taught them how to plant and to sow and to reap the yellow grain. I showed them where the precious metals of the earth lie hidden, and how to smelt iron from its ores, how to shape the plowshare and the spade and the spear and the battle-axe. I taught them how to tame the wild horses of the meadows, and how to train the yoke-beasts to the plow, 
how to build lordly dwellings and mighty strongholds, and how to sail in ships across old Ayr's watery kingdom. But they gave me no thanks for what I had done, and as the years went by, they forgot who had been their teacher, and they said that it was Frey who had given them this knowledge and skill. And I taught the young maidens how to spin and weave, and to handle the needle deftly, to make rich garments, and then to work in tapestry and embroidery. But they too forgot me, and said that it was Freya who had taught them. Then I showed men how to read the mystic runes all right, and how to make the sweet beverage of poetry that charms all hearts and enlightens the world. But they say now that they had these gifts from Odin. I taught them how to fashion the tales of old into rich melodious songs, and with music and sweet mouth elegance to move their minds of their fellow men. But they say that Briar taught them this, and they remember me only as Regan, the elephant schoolmaster, or at best as Mimir, the master of smiths. At length my heart grew bitter because of this neglect and ingratitude of men, and for the longing of Antvaris' horde came back to me, and I forgot how much of my cunning and lore. But I lived on and on, and generations of short-lived men arose and passed, and still the horde was not mine, for I was weak and no man was strong enough to help me. Then I sought the wisdom of the Norns, the weird woman that weaved the woof of every creature's fate. And how long, asked I, must I hope and wait in weary expectation of the day when the wealth of the world and the garnered wisdom of the ages shall be mine? And the witches answered, when a prince of the Walsung race shall come, who shall excel thee in smithy and craft, and to whom the Allfather shall give the shining hope as a helper? Then the days of thy weary watching shall cease. How long, asked I, shall I live to enjoy this wealth and this wisdom, and to walk as a god among men? Shall I be long-lived as the Isaac, and dwell on the earth until the last twilight comes? It is written, answered Skuld, that a beardless youth shall see thy death. But go thou now, and bide thy time. Here Regin entered his story, and both he and Siegfried sat for a long time silent and thoughtful. I know what you wish, said Siegfried at last. You think that I am the prince of whom the weird sister spoke, and you would have me slay the dragon Faupnir and win for you the horde of Antvari? It is even so, answered Regin. But the horde is accursed, said the lad. Let the curse be upon me, was the answer. Is not the wisdom of the ages mine? And think you that I cannot escape the curse? Is there aught that can prevail against him who is all knowledge and the wealth of the world at his call? Nothing but the word of the Norns and the will of the Allfather, answered Siegfried. But will you help me? asked Regin, almost wild with earnestness. Will you help me to win that which is rightfully mine and to rid the world of a horrible evil? Why is the horde of Antvare more thine than Faupnir's? He is a monster, and he keeps the treasure, but to gloat upon its glittering richness. I will use it to make myself a name upon the earth. I will not hoard it away, but I am weak, and he is strong and terrible. Will you help me? Tomorrow, said Siegfried, be ready to go with me to the glittering heath. The treasure shall be thine, and also the curse. And also the curse, echoed Regan. All sources are taken from Litigo. And the story is written by James Baldwin. If you would like to contact me, you can send me an email at erdothors at icloud.com or via Facebook, facebook.com slash asgardpodcast or via Twitter, twitter.com slash Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. <laughs>